0: helps Canadians access their funds their way. Products like Interact Debit and Interact E-Transfer have made money mobile, taking it from the confines of traditional banking and ushering it into the digital age. As consumers adapt to new technology, so does Interact. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hey everyone, it's Friday, April 26th, the
1: last Friday
0: in April. It doesn't totally oh my feel God, like that. Oh,
1: is Holy I, cow. <laughs> I <didn't laughs> really should have clued into that before now.
0: <laughs> I know. So it's almost May. Uh, I've got Shannon Prophet of Maclean's here and David Reevely of the Canadian Press with me in studio. Hi to you both. Hi. Hi. Let's get into it. PEI went to the polls this week in an election race that drew quite a bit of attention, particularly as it fell uh, sort of soon after the Alberta election. In most uh, polling, um, and you know, and preliminary chatter, it was looking like the greens would sweep, which um, would have made it the first green party government in Canada.
1: I think I think yeah for sure it would have I think they were anticipating maybe a minority was looking the most likely but either way that they were going to be the party in power that they would be most of the polls right okay so that's not exactly how it turned out instead the progressive conservatives
0: led by uh, Dennis King uh, came out on top securing a minority government the Green Party led by Peter uh, Bevan Baker I just love that name Uh, for the first time in history will hold official opposition status so incumbent Liberals fell to third place so now this was a pretty startling uh, election. It would only reinforce the pattern we're seeing across Canada: the the influx of PC governments. Um, this is now the sixth provincial election that's led to a victory on the right. Um, so it's fair to say voters are looking for a change, if you will. Um, and 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 we often refer to this sense of we were talking about this off air, but the populist uprising that we're we're seeing across the country. But I'm I'm kind of guilty of associating that with. Um, you know a right wing trend, and we're seeing that. But there, there was talk um, beforehand too of uh, that that the Green leader um, Peter Bevan Baker kind of also inspired a, a, a populist narrative as well. Is that is that fair to say? I mean, it was it was again that sort of grassroots pushing for change.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Like, this is a common pattern we've seen where the greens end up at the ballot box vat like quite significantly underperforming what the polls had showed. Um, there's some particular things I think that were going on in PEI that are maybe worth us unpacking, yeah. but there's some reasons for that. They're, they're the youngest party. They tend to have the weakest ground game, particularly in a very um, small population place like PEI where there's not like a massive organizational machine that would have really hurt them. They also dealt with a horrific tragedy just a few days before the vote yes. where one of their candidates, Josh Underhay and his young, Son were killed in a canoeing accident. So you have to assume there was some element of emotional um, kind of upheaval and maybe distraction. So maybe their ground game wasn't what it could be. Right. And, and as well, I think this is maybe something that applies in other races we've seen, but particularly in PEI. You can imagine an effect, especially if there's an appetite for change, where a pollster calls and asks you who you're going to vote for, and you're thinking about something new. PEI had this very pronounced pattern of just flipping back and forth from red to blue, red to blue, since Confederation, I believe. Yeah, I don't
2: like any other parties.
1: So they have a very entrenched, and and it's a very entrenched kind of familial, like you get your party from your dad and your grandpa and your grandma before you kind of thing. And so you can imagine a pattern in which pollsters asking, who are you going to vote for? People would be very likely to consider Greens something new. They also made a concerted effort in PEI, and this is maybe a pattern that they want to look at more broadly across the country, that they were broadening their approach from just the environment. It was sort of a general kind of left of center, social justice, equality kind of platform. So anyway, you can imagine people telling pollsters, yep, that's who I'm, that's who I'm backing. And you end up with that 35, 40% support. And then when it comes time to actually put that X on the piece of paper, people kind of, yeah. there's a bit of a regression to the mean. They still, I mean, I think they tripled their popular vote score from the most recent election. So it's still a huge leap, but you, and you see that continually happening that that the Greens just kind of squeak in under where the polls had them, no matter what jurisdiction you're talking about, which is probably something the National that, Party wants to really think about yeah. ahead of October.
0: That is interesting. Yeah, like you you probably, Go oh yeah I want change uh, that sounds that sounds great the
1: Green Party's you know platform sounds great but then you get to the polls and you're like mm, I yeah. don't know if I'm gonna back it this is this is a super dumb analogy that maybe will mean nothing to David but I feel like it's like when you're gonna get your haircut and you download a photo yes. on your phone of like a super like <laughs> ambitious Whoa, cut yeah. and you're like I'm gonna do this and then you walk in the door and you do not hand that photo yeah. if you're smart you yeah. do not hand that photo to you're, your hairdresser that's maybe where the analogy ends I it's don't true. think there would have been a problem with people committing to the Greens but I feel like it's that yes. kind of wait a minute
0: but they did do a good job of, of presenting the Green Party as more than a party that just cares about the environment, which I I think – yeah, like it's a misconception that's being cracked sort of at all levels right now. How are we seeing this play out um, – well, first of all, let's go back to – so the PCs won and so that – again, that's the sixth government now um, that has at least a right-leaning
2: counting, – Counting the, the- – Coalition Avenir Québec in right. Quebec, yeah, kind right. of party, yeah.
0: Now, it sounds like uh, a Dennis King, I mean, he, I read recently that he won't be repealing like the carbon tax and stuff like this, so he's a bit more centrist,
2: obviously. Yeah, he's, Dennis King is not in the Doug Ford, Jason Kenney, Scott Moe sort of mold. Right. Um, but... PEI politics are just generally more centrist and they're yeah. – it was such a nice campaign. Oh, my That's God. That's what they I – yeah. They seemed really decent yes. to each they other. hugged other. at the end. And yeah, in, in the <laughs> studio at, uh, at the CBC the morning after, I guess the two of them had not had a chance to talk. And so the, the new premier-to-be and the new leader of the opposition d- were there at, at microphones next to each other and they gave each other a hug and wished lovely. each other well. And Just like the civility and the,
1: the level of like grown-up discourse was so like lovely to oh, behold, like yes. PEI is living in a lighter timeline than the rest I think, of us. I
2: mean, it, it's probably at least partly a function of there being fewer people. Like you actually know these people, sure, in right. a way that you, you don't necessarily in a in a province of ten million people or fourteen million people, uh, where you can kind of demonize others. Uh, in a smaller community, you actually know who these who these men and women are, and so it doesn't necessarily play as well to to treat them as villains.
0: Well, isn't Dennis King also... Or, sorry, not Dennis King. Isn't uh, uh, Ben, ben Baker, Baker the dentist... The happy dentist. The dentist to Dennis King?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. And then my favorite anecdote that I heard, I can't remember which, which district it was, but in one, I believe it was the PC and green candidate were both named Matthew McKay, <laughs> spelled identically. But yep. the news story I read about it said they were not concerned about the mix-up because they knew almost all of the 4,000 constituents like personally, and so they would know which one they were voting for. Which like, to David's point, right. when politics is personalized and there's a face on it, maybe it's the difference between screaming at someone in person and on the internet, I think there is a civilizing
0: effect yeah. there. I, I wonder how many people Googled like, moving to PEI <laughs> after <laughs> after that.
2: I, I, I think Prince Edward Island would love that. Yeah, uh, right. There, one of the things that they're dealing with is, is gradual right, yeah. depopulation and yeah. trying to figure out how how to sustain a growing economy and and modernize and move into the future with without the bodies to do it, and I, I think I'm back to the the point you were talking oh, about. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, this, this, yeah. this, this is a progressive conservative government. They were the most right wing of the parties that are running. This is not a hard right government though. Um, and so, although I mean, there's no way to cast it as bad news for Andrew Scheer or good news for Justin Trudeau that the, the liberals lost and, uh, the progressive conservatives won, Yeah, it's, you're not necessarily going to see another person, another premier signing up for the resistance army, um, right. with the, uh, the people in the center and the West.
0: Um, and, and it was kind of, uh, powerful actually when, when it was, uh, Deemed, or, or the news came out that Green Party candidate Josh Underhay and his son had died. Um, it was it understood that everyone would sort of stop. Um, yeah, I don't even think it was a conversation.
1: Point. It was just this is what we do, and and I think the volunteers went out in the riding where he had been running and removed yeah. everyone's signs Science. but his, which is kind of just a lovely sort of yeah. eloquent yeah. little tribute uh, gesture.
2: To be darkly mercenary about it. That also means there's another seat up for grabs. Right. Because they did true. not sure. run yep. yes. the election in that one. There's a by-election, right? There will in, be a the ne- yes.
0: in the next sort of three months. So um Which could
2: could significantly affect the balance of power depending on exactly how the numbers pan out. Right. Because they need to elect a speaker and the the numbers are close.
1: Okay. Interesting. And I think they've said um Dennis King had sort of indicated in the interviews I saw with him this was only the day after. He said he hadn't even had a chance to have coffee with Bevan Baker yet. He was suggesting that he was they were both more interested in kind of a case-by-case negotiated supportive relationship as opposed hmm. to something more stable and kind of long-term. It was just sort of going to be bill-by-bill, bill, are we working yep. together sort of thing. So that suggests it will be kind of an ongoing negotiated sort of temporary marriage, yeah. I guess.
0: You know what it also, I, I think... The PEI shows us too, is that um, climate change doesn't necessarily – or carbon tax, yeah, climate change doesn't have to be like a partisan issue. It can just be this makes good sense for our uh, community and for our province and, you know, it, it kind of – Yeah,
2: well, if that's how the polity feels and yeah. the, that's how the parties feel, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think what we're seeing in much of the rest of Canada is people – Simply don't believe that, right, so, or right. some people simply yeah. don't believe that. Yeah. Well, and, and, people are and to
1: it. like, where where is the source of that? Is that coming from the populace? It's quite possible, or is it that parties are seeing it as a very successful wedge issue and and kind of casting it in that light, and that people are responding to that? King did say that, and he pointed out it's it's I think a fair logical point that to tell Prince Edward Islanders you should use cars less and you're going to pay more for gas because we got to save the earth, like they don't have public transit across the island. Everything is by truck. They don't have rail. So he was sort of saying, and he wasn't saying this in a combative way, like the difference in tone to Kenny say was remarkable, that they just, they are looking for other solutions. He's, he has no plans to go to war over the federal carbon tax, but um, that he thinks for his population and the way they actually work, that there could be more sensible and effective solutions in there. So it sounds like he wants, he wants to talk, but he doesn't sort of have his fist balled up, ready to go.
0: Um, so, now, federally, obviously, we're seeing the polls indicate that, you know, as you were saying, she had Green Party leader Elizabeth May is, is what is it, the most trusted federal leader or something at this point? Yeah, I know most, is one generally
1: of most trusted, most liked, I think, yep. right most now, liked, big time.
0: You know. Um, she just got married. She's she just got, just got that. Married. Like, that was a nice
1: little feel-good story from earlier this she's week. She's the glow.
0: She is. <sighs> she's got that, that newlywed glow. Um, And, and what's nice, I think. well. Oh, What's nice for the Greens um, is and and you know it used to be reserved for more like the NDP, but I think they're sneaking into this role. Is that they can kind of deke out of the 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 drama that consumes um, the governing and opposition parties, right? Like all this SNC stuff. Like they've been kind of able to nicely weave weave themselves around it. They're
1: outside um, of it. Sorry, May go ahead, May
2: has been involved in it. Well, because she was um, in the she, committee. She yeah, had, she she appeared at the um, I guess it was the justice committee. She had a killer line against Michael Wernick, the the, uh, the clerk of the Privy Council, um, where uh, he'd been accused of being a tool of of Justin Trudeau uh, by the the conservatives, and I, I won't be able to quite do it justice, but she said something along the lines of, you know, Mr. Wernick, I don't think you're... Uh, a tool of, of the liberal party i think you're happy to be a hatchet man for whoever the prime minister is whether that's a conservative or a liberal right. so let me ask you this and uh, to be honest, i don't remember what the question was <laughs> yeah, yeah, Does it, really it doesn't really matter under a setup like pretty that harsh. but it
0: doesn't uh, matter yeah. yeah but i mean i just wonder if 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 the greens will i mean yeah like um be able to sneak in as that sort of third party uh you know well, position versus the ndp like
1: like i think what perhaps what the I think the PEI election is more telling or has more kind of portent for the Greens than it does for the PCs. Because as we said, the PCs out there are not like PCs other places in the country. It's also worth noting, I think they actually came in lower on the popular vote than they did in the previous election. So it was more of a seat distribution thing. So there's not necessarily a blue swell out there. But what that result does for the Greens, I think, is perhaps start to, in other parts of the country, legitimize the party. It has always seemed like a throwaway vote because unless you're in a select handful and to be like to be fair, a growing handful of writings where they're competitive. It was more of a, it was a gesture, or it was it was a, am tired of all this, or this is an issue that matters to me. And now it is starting to seem, at least in some isolated places, like a vote that could actually matter and get you an MP or MPP or MLA or whatever. Um, so it sort of legitimizes it in that way, or makes it a, an option. And if we're reading the mood of the electorate, you know, we're certainly seeing all these blue provincial governments pop up. But if what that is really a symptom of is people who want something different or some sense mm. of a protest vote or some sense of enough of the same old crap, the Greens are quite beautifully positioned to be that, especially if they make a concerted effort to broaden their approach from just environmental issues to, yes. you know, they've, they've sort of roughly defined themselves as kind of left of center, sort of like eating the NDP's lunch. Mm-hmm. Because of their newness, they, they are kind of really nicely positioned to offer people something new in a different way than the Tory governments have been that have been successful.
2: On that, though, uh, figuring out what they're going to offer besides environmentalism has been a problem for the Greens forever. You can, you know, they want to fight climate change, they're against deforestation, they're for animal protection, but what is the Green stance on foreign policy, you know, what, how do they they feel we should handle our relationship with the United States or Russia? What's the green take on gun control? What is the green take on any number of things like that? Uh, How should we deal with China? I, I think the greens themselves have a great deal of of agreement within themselves on a lot of those things. But once you get off their their central message, they even amongst themselves, they have a great deal of disagreement right and if you're going to govern, then you need a platform that covers all of that ground. And that can be very difficult for them even to put together, let alone to try to sell. Yeah. And Bevan Baker's Greens in, in PEI are a leftish Green Party. The Ontario Greens are a fairly right-wing Green Party. They are generally libertarian um, in their economic outlook. And the Greens in BC are generally kind of left-wing. They're, they're all over the map. Yeah. It's a grab bag. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They've, had, they've tried, I think the Federal Greens tried putting together a platform a few elections ago based on uh, people voting online and you could just go and give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to various platform planks and they ended up with a very goofy array of ideas, most of which did not hang together ideologically and I think they recognize that they have this problem, they're not stupid people, but solving it is hard.
0: Yeah,
2: If you're going to contend for power, then you need a comprehensive platform. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's interesting because Going into the next federal election, climate change or, or climate policy will no doubt be a, a major issue. It'll be a key policy issue. Um, so I think it's kind of depending on where climate change, you know, stands in your priority list as a voter that'll determine where you're going to place your your vote. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, so so speaking of populist uprisings. <laughs> We're going to head to Ukraine now. Um, Volodymyr Zelensky, a celebrity turned politician, has become the new president-elect of Ukraine. The former actor defeated incumbent leader Petro Poroshenko on Sunday in a landslide victory. The only political experience Mr. Zelensky has is playing Ukraine's president on on a television show called Servant of the People seems fitting um throughout the campaign mr. Zelinsky pushed in uh, as we were just saying like an anti elite anti establishment sentiment and it was it was kind of light on actual policy agenda um nevertheless he was he was appealing obviously to many for the same reasons we've seen other populist leaders be be popular um and there was about a second there i was telling david before we started recording where i was like oh my god this is the first time a celebrity got elected this is crazy like an actual celebrity <laughs> there's comes. a really loud precedent
1: for that somewhere <laughs> oh, i can my think god. of
0: and then and then i realized that wow okay donald trump is is a key point in that so um what uh, in what ways was he sort of boosting this this populist narrative like i heard he was pretty anti media well,
1: he he didn't expose himself to the media at all. That's why he's like a blank slate from a policy perspective, right? Yeah,
2: virtually no interviews. No, did not allow himself to be pressed on any, anything. It was kind of the, Z, the Zelensky show, which was a one way <laughs> operation. Um, right. So you could you could you could consume Zelensky, but you could not put anything in front of him. They uh, he challenged Poroshenko in the uh, the second round to a debate. That Poroshenko, I guess, in desperation, accepted, and they did this in, uh, I think, a a soccer stadium, sports stadium of some
1: kind. Forty thousand people.
2: Yes, and they were each on different stages, facing each other from opposite ends of the field. So it was. Does that not make you excited as uh, a nerd who likes political spectacle? Like,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, (laughs) yelling at each other through microphones, essentially. And that, I mean, that is that is spectacle. To, to, to like nothing else. Is it serious politics? Is this a way to actually discuss the future of your you know country on the border of Russia with economic problems and any number of other things going on? This I don't know, but but he must filled, put bums in seats. He must have they've known he
0: could he could rock
2: that. Yeah, he's a comedian. You know? This is what he's really good at.
0: Yeah. like
2: Just like Trump speaking live. I mean, as we've gotten exposed to Trump speaking live, maybe some of the the fun of that is worn off. But anytime he got up and, as as we know, anytime he got up in front of a podium, all the U.S. networks would just show the empty podium, even if Hillary Clinton was actually talking at the same time, in case Donald Trump came out and started going. Because he was great TV. Yeah. Zelensky's great TV. So
0: why do we as Canadians care so much about this issue? I mean- Canada had an interesting role to play in this election, so we sent down a team there to observe um, the election, monitor its integrity. I want to mm-hmm. say, um, Lloyd Axworthy, a former Canadian foreign minister, was was heading this up. What was the details of that? Why would we do that?
2: Uh, we've done it with previous Ukrainian elections, and Ukraine has has welcomed it. Uh, we actually sent two different teams: one as part of a, a multilateral, like multi country observer mission, and one as a bilateral just organized with between Canada and the, and the Ukrainians and Axworthy led the, the second one just to observe the balloting and the counting and to uh, confirm the integrity of the actual voting process. And Axworthy came back saying, yeah, the, the vote was with some exceptions, but they're minor. The yeah. vote was clean. Uh, yeah. I mean, there were a couple of fundamental problems. The, you know." Crimea, which Russia has annexed, and most of the world, including Canada, considers still part of Ukraine. They didn't run the presidential election in Crimea. And I think almost nobody got to vote in a couple of eastern provinces uh, that Russia has kind of semi-occupied. So those are s- some very significant mm-hmm. problems <laughs> yeah. with the vote, but by right. and large, it was a clean vote.
0: So and was there a so worry actually- that because of the, the, the proximity to Russia, there would be that was the biggest threat to the election. Well, this is the thing, and yeah.
2: this is this is I think why in Canada I think cares about Ukraine for two reasons. One, the kind of grander reason is that Ukraine is you know formerly part of the Soviet Union and has had its eyes kind of cast to the west since independence back in uh, the early nineties. And Russia has not wanted Ukraine to join the European Union, to become part of NATO, to to Europeanize, yeah. rather than than join with Russia uh, in its sphere of influence. Right. And Ru- uh, Ukraine itself has been kind of divided on that point because right. there are there are Ukrainians who feel an affinity for Russia, and there are Ukrainians who feel an affinity for Europe, and there's lots of history there. Yeah. Um, and so, if we want an ally there, then we care about its politics, and we care about what happens. The grubbier reason is that there are tons of uh, Ukrainian-Canadians, both on the prairies, uh, came in one wave of immigration, and in bigger cities, particularly Toronto, came in another wave of immigration, including my ancestors um, and some of them, uh, and there are seats to be had. It's a fairly uh, well... Um, consolidated community, and there are seats, especially in in suburban Toronto, Mm. not that are necessarily controlled by the Ukrainian-Canadian vote, but where they're a meaningful block, And so looking interested in what's going on there uh, looks good on both liberal and conservative governments.
0: Basic question, but... Interesting question. How does a comedian with no political experience <laughs> get elected um, in U- Ukraine? Like, so he he's he's a funny man. He's a comedian. He um, why would such a you know, why would he be so attractive?
2: Uh, because he's different. And you, since independence, Ukraine has had this this long period of kind of pa- patron-client politics and right. presidents essentially all of them have to some extent use the presidency as a way of enriching their cronies um and and themselves i mean on a smaller scale than maybe we've seen in in russia under putin but there there is an oligarchy and there is a, a some of them were pro russian some of them were pro western but none of the, the the leaders they've had has really broken that mold uh, including unfortunately poroshenko who was uh, uh made his fortune in candy before (laughs) entering politics. He actually didn't have a ton of political experience either when he became president, but he was a businessman, so more of a a traditional political leader. Um, But Zelensky promised to break that mold. That that was his his one big promise is an end to corruption, and that's a big promise. But it's what people apparently wanted to hear.
0: Do we know if it was like a bunch of young voters that came out and 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 voted in favor of this guy? Like he was
1: he was sort of capitalizing on that in an interesting way. Like to David's point about the Zelensky show he's quite popular on social media and one of his MOs was to tell his younger fans where I I don't really know specifically about the demographic profile, but I'm assuming he was popular with the youngins to tell them to show his sort of viral videos and things like that to their elders. So he sort of seemed to be trying to use them as a doorway to a different demographic group. I mean, he won 73% of the popular vote. So there was a good mix of people in there, but his, his appeal, like his campaign was, I mean, it was very limited. He, his, his victory speech was, uh, I don't have any time for pathetic speeches. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) And, and he had, he allowed zero media access. He was just a blank slate. There were no policy proposals that went with who he is, which sort of makes him an ideal kind of white scrim on which to project whatever you want. And because of his sort of explicitly anti-corruption populist message, um, it sounds like it was exactly what people wanted to hear. Corruption is a huge problem in the Ukraine. Um, there are some questions about Zelensky himself because his show, Servant of the People, airs on a network called One Plus One that is owned and bankrolled by an oligarch that there have been some questions about is Zelensky himself the, the charismatic kind of sock puppet face of this guy and are Ukrainians going to end up with just more of the same with yeah, effectively like a shadow-controlled... President, um backed by this this oligarch, who I, I think and I, I guess like the way things work there is a bit murkier than here. Like not only does his show air on that network, but the supposition is that that oligarch was was bankrolling his whole campaign. So mm-hmm. it's I think it's all unproven, but it, because of like the rife repeated corruption and the way that that works and money greases the political wheels, and then. Like set against the backdrop of the fact that Ukraine is the poorest country in Europe, and people really struggle there right. or, or close to, I think. So you see people struggling and 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 this kind of frustration, and then they see fat cats, you know, well connected to politicians, enriching themselves. That's a tinderbox.
0: Yeah, you? it really is.
2: I mean, if if there's if there's something to be clearly hopeful about. It's that he won support both in the East and the, and in the West. And Ukraine is kind of divided down the middle. The mm-hmm. The West historically has been pro-Western and the East has been historically pro-Russian. Uh, and the presidency has kind of bopped back and forth between guys who have had support from one side, but not the other, one, one end of the country, but not the mm-hmm. other. <coughs> and Zelensky got support from both sides. Mm. On the flip side, I mean, as I think Shannon was implying, there's no particular reason to believe that he has the stuff to be the president of a oh, right. a, a country with more people mm. in it than Canada and that in a very matter. tense yeah. political <laughs> situation so with Russia, not just on the doorstep, but literally with its feet in the country yeah. in multiple places. Yeah. And Zelensky says he wants to get the, the border situation right. with Russia sorted out every, very, very soon.
0: Everyone's worried about like, yeah. okay, well, what kind of concessions are you going to...
2: One way to do that deal? is to cave. Right. You can get that sorted very quickly. Yeah. Uh, how you get Russia out of your Eastern provinces and out of Crimea quickly, I uh, don't... I'm and I think perhaps... for the magic. Perhaps too, if he looks
1: weak or things look chaotic... That gives Putin a bit of a premise to to sort of – not that he necessarily needs one. But if Ukraine looks like it's disintegrating into some kind of disorganized chaos, it gives Putin a bit more of um, a premise to sort of get involved or perhaps you have people who are frightened and concerned and looking elsewhere. Like it just – if things don't go well and Zelensky doesn't surround himself with a solid team and things don't look – like, there are grown-ups running the country. Yeah. You can see how that is advantageous for Putin.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, just a one, one last note here. We had uh, Sean McCarthy from the Globe and Mail in yesterday. He's also the president of the Canadian Committee for World Press Freedom. And in the spirit of that, because it's next week, it's next Friday, I believe it's uh, World Press Freedom Day. Um, you know, it's 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 troubling to see um, you know this kind of anti-media sentiment uh, in another in another platform. Um, and and Ax- Axworthy said, sort of, you know, uh, it sounds very familiar uh, with what we're we're seeing south of the border and um, that sort of limiting of press freedom or access to is, is sort of an access to get more greater control. And and so it's it's troubling. But
2: I, I would say that what we've seen from Zelensky so far is more inaccessibility right. than attack. Uh, right. And, and there are... Not
0: enemy of the people. It's yeah, more... Not, not quite like that.
2: It's yeah. what we've seen so far. Right. Now, what we've seen so far is not exactly encouraging. It's just not as bad as we have seen in some other <laughs> right. places. And the question is
1: also what the motivation is. Is it that he wants to delegitimize the press and restrict its access, or is it that... He perhaps or his handlers think that what he has to offer is wafer thin, and they just don't yeah. want people poking at it. Right, I don't know.
0: Right. Okay. Moving on. Um, and 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 full disclosure off the top here: Facebook is one of our sustaining partners. So uh, a new report released yesterday by the Privacy Commissioner, Canadian Privacy Commissioner Daniel Therrien, and Michael McAvoy, his BC Counterpoint, uh, states that Facebook has failed to protect the information of its users, and in turn has violated Canada's privacy laws. A big statement to make. So the two set out this investigation following the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal of uh, 2017, around the, which is when it came out. At the time, it was revealed that Facebook had harvested users' personal information without their consent, and it was used for political purposes in various elections in an attempt to, to, to sway electoral outcomes. So this had been going on as early, I believe, as, as, as 2015, when um, it was reported that U.S. Senator Ted Cruz was using Cambridge Analytica to target uh, voters using Facebook data. Um, So Mr. Tarion said that privacy guidelines that uh, that Facebook did have were, quote, an empty shell, uh, as it stands today. He said the risk of political interference did not manifest itself as of yet in Canada, but nevertheless there remains a risk, especially as we near the next federal election. So that being said, you know, he did state that it was something like I think uh, six hundred thousand Canadians' personal information was was scraped by Facebook and for nefarious purposes in the Cambridge Analytica
2: that was allowed to be scraped.
0: Was allowed Facebook to be scraped. let it happen. Yes, in uh, in that scandal. So I, I'm kind of confused though as to whether the this report was okay, something illegal happened, or um, and we're taking you to court, Facebook, or um, you know something illegal could have happened and we're just stating it because we're, we're uh, you know, we're, we're making sure it
1: doesn't happen in the future. The court recourse is, and this was part of Terrian's like very strident criticism, is because he basically feels like he has no other tools. He's mm. been quite critical of the government for giving him no other enforcement mechanisms. In, in Europe and in the US, there's a structure right. where there's fines and that can and are currently being levied. And Canada doesn't have that provision. So I think that's why the court case, but that is, from Tarion's perspective and, and a lot of people's a not ideal solution because it's like, it basically boots the can down the road. Like maybe a year from now, a judge will hear it. There's no sort of immediate kind of consequence. And so what he has said, and you could see it in in the kind of hair splitting of Facebook's response. Facebook yes. of course came back and said, we're disappointed that they say there's still all these unresolved yeah. issues. We've spent months in right. good faith. They, they took care to say good faith conversations with them. Um, and then they said there's no evidence that any Canadian's data was actually used by Cambridge Analytica. And what Tarian has said is that to him, that is entirely beside the point. Mm. The point is that the framework that Facebook has set up, their privacy, mm. terms and conditions, is such that it is an open door. And so whether it actually has happened or not is irrelevant to the fact that the structure is built in such a way that it could and, I guess, will or or, right. or likely will. And and he said that the, the, the legal kind of landscape is similar to in the US where this happened but they they had the ability to levy consequences now you could ask with a company with pockets as deep as well, Facebook's I, I think they said just this week that they're expecting a three to five billion dollar fine from the FTC and they just kind of so like take a like tiny little like <laughs> knapsack of cash and just put it in one corner of their yeah. office and leave it there until they need it like right. I don't know how much you would have to fine a company that size for it to not just be a cost of doing business for them to do what they want
2: kind of uh, thing. I'd say three to five billion dollars gets the attention even of Facebook but th- it's got to be on that. Scale, yes, it, a fine in the millions for a company like Facebook
1: I think Facebook the use, like in the, Europe, it was like 500,000 pounds, which is oh, just sort God, of, yeah.
0: that's pathetic. No, but even I, that's a question I was going to ask whether or not, um, you know, the Tyrion wants the ability to, to levy sanctions, but would you know, financial like, is that even going to dent their pocketbook? I mean, really, well, I mean, it's what they have, yeah,
2: you, know, you can, you can, <laughs> what that's how you take, uh, take something out on a company is you yeah. take its money, yeah. I guess in you know subsequent violations, the fines might be larger. Um,
1: and I wonder if the real point is: does that raise public consciousness? Like, do you? Yeah. What is the real end point you want to arrive at? The public noticing and getting ticked off because that could actually dent Facebook's bottom line if enough people felt un- unsafe or. Um, used to walk away, perhaps the fines are a way to kind of go to the public. Like, excuse yeah. me, there's a problem here.
0: Yeah.
2: One of the things that got my attention with Terry and uh, his press conference, he said the privacy, his, his office, the Privacy Commissioner's office has had a Facebook presence as part of its sort of social media outreach. You know, they want to be accessible. They either have closed it or are closing it. And he himself does not have a Facebook yeah, account because he doesn't want to do business with a company like this. He yeah. doesn't want to be involved. <laughs> and that's that's
0: putting your, your yeah. Money I mean, I,
2: I, I don't know that it's a huge surprise to people that if you put a bunch of stuff on Facebook, you don't necessarily have control over it
0: that you're not paying for. Like, yeah, a service you're not I paying mean, for
2: obviously it. you're the product in yeah. in that case. But uh, when the privacy commissioner says I don't want to have anything to do with them, I think that does you know that gets my attention. It made me rethink my. Facebook account. I think it's right. so worth it to me, but I'm careful. I know. And it's maybe more I the know. misleading
1: nature of it too. Like Facebook pays a lot of lip service, you know, even this week when they come out, they talk about being privacy focused. I think it is a stretch to ask people at this point to believe that, that that is not like some heavy euphemism. And so it's, you're right, you need to be conscious that if you put your information out there and you are the product in the shop window, like that's where it's going. But it's the kind of Byzantine terms and rules, and I don't know if you've ever tried to adjust your your Facebook privacy settings. Like I consider myself a pretty yeah. savvy internet user, and I I have to Google solutions to figure out how to lock <laughs> stuff down. I know, which I have to assume is Me a too. deliberate strategy to make it harder to shut your own
2: doors. Kind and of, and
0: even when you do delete your profile, because I've done that before, um, you can it's still there. Oh really? Yeah
2: put into a dormant state. It's, it's,
0: it's put but. into a dormant state. Like they still, ha- I wonder what happens when you actually delete your profile. Do they still have that information? Um, anyway, I mean, yeah, I wonder um, if a report like this really makes a dent in public perceptions of the company. Like there was a poll, I think from quite recently that said, um, you know, the overall feeling or, or sentiment or attitudes towards the company has, has drastically fallen. But in yet, Yeah, people are also you're trapped by the size of the market, right? Like
1: I, I would consider getting rid of it for concerns about privacy and stuff like this, but. I got my Facebook account, I think, right when I graduated from university. And there are easily 200 people that I still know what's going on in their Mm. life and what their kids look like and where they're going on vacation. Mm -hmm. And I like that, that I would have no way of staying in contact with anymore. So it's kind of like, it's worth it to have a phone if all your friends have a phone. Like It's because of the saturation of it. And if you do get good things from it, the trade-off, it can be hard to walk away. And I think you see that in the poll results where people say like there's very low trust toward Facebook, but yet like two-thirds of Canadians have an account and that doesn't really show many signs of changing so there's a bit of a disconnect and i'm
0: not even sure if you were given the option you know to to consent or you had to long, you know, read all these long privacy papers and whatever you'd probably just go yeah i agree i agree I agree because that's kind of what i do most of the time i don't really understand any of the language so i just click the box and move on um so it, there's that kind of you know,
1: digital literacy element to it, too. It is worth noting, though, that we are seeing a slightly different response from the government on this. Now. Yes, back in the fall and in December, I think it was when C seventy six passed the the Election Modernization Act. Um, they, I remember at the time. I think we even discussed it in the pod. Um, Karina Gould, the Democratic Institutions Minister sort of used kind of weirdly limp-wristed language to say that she expected social media platforms to conform to the rules. And the obvious immediate questions were, well, if there's no teeth in the rules, why would they? And have they shown themselves to be cooperative, good, you know, technological citizens before now? Now... She is saying, she has said this week that they're realizing the time for self-regulation has passed and that they need to get on board with what other jurisdictions like Europe and the U.S. are doing. And um, they haven't committed to anything. They've said all options are on the table, but it sounds like they've at least shifted their response from they'll do the right thing because we've told them to do the right thing to maybe we need to kind of push them to do the right thing.
2: Yesterday, um, after the privacy commissioner's report came out, Gould and uh, the industry minister, Navdeep Bains, said we can expect concrete actions within the next few weeks. Oh. And they didn't specify what those are, right. possibly because they're still figuring them out. Uh, but they're, they're going so to do something. I, I think to your point earlier, uh, it is a, an open question what kind of power the government of Canada really has over Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook could walk away from Canada if they make things too difficult for Facebook to kind do Kind of like Google here. with the political yeah. ads? Exactly, like Google uh, just saying, okay, well, we're not going to take political ads in the next election because
1: your I rules are, uh, yeah. uh, we're Bleh. not going to
2: bother. It's not not worth right. it to us. And then where does that leave the government? I right. mean, that's, that's quite the game of chicken, and I think they'd have to be pushed pretty hard before something like that happened, but I'm mean, Canada's I'm not... just
1: imagining like a forced instantaneous social media detox on, for a whole <laughs> country. That's cool. I kind of – I like that. That's kind of an interesting yeah. idea. I don't know. We all, yeah. <laughs> You're right, though, David. It would never <laughs> – realistically, <You> know, they're <laughs> never going to get to that point of the game of chicken, but it's an it interesting, interesting concept.
0: I mean, here's my thing, too. When I'm putting out – because I've done this before. I put out an ad on Facebook. I click who I want to target. I put in – It's astonishing but, how narrowly you can right? target it, eh? And you yeah. can use – so what's the difference between – I know I'm not a third-party app, but, like – I'm using a lot of people's information. I'm scraping information off of Facebook and using it for advertising purposes. There's got to be some sort of line there as to what's acceptable and what's not. Anyway, it's just interesting, like, what I can do with Facebook I ads. I suspect
1: the line there might be, David might know this more technically, might be that that's Facebook internally using that data, which right. you have presumably signed off on in the terms and conditions, that's whereas something right, like yeah, Cambridge right. Analytica was either them not protecting the data or just completely leaving a door open for a third party for commercial or political gain mm. to nab the data. So that's yeah. the difference. It's the, not being used within the system yeah. it was built for. That's fair. And the deal
2: yeah. with Cambridge Analytica was they they had an app that looked very innocent but it gave, and you clicked yes, fine, you can have access to this stuff. It gave this the company that made the app and then passed the data on uh, access to virtually all your personal information and what information your friends shared with you. Oh, right. And, and so that so, yeah, was, was The where web yeah. was huge. So it's not yeah. just a matter of using Facebook's Database kind of at one remove to target ads or to have them target ads on your behalf. It was some other company taking not just your stuff, but the stuff that your friends share. Yes, right.
1: Now, Facebook announced just yesterday that they were um, shutting down all, I forget what term they used, but apps that were basically just for amusement, like just like that one, Your Digital Life, that vacuumed up Mm. all that data. Just yesterday, they said they were revoking posi- hmm. permission and shutting them down although my immediate question is how are they defining yeah, the exactly. apps that fall under that and the apps that don't because yeah. facebook is full of just oh, like spam car- and fun garbage-y. crap I so i don't know where they would draw that line
2: one way uh, uh, this is not enough but one of the acts of voodoo that i carry out to protect my my privacy i just don't install facebook apps i don't care what they do no the me either me i too. don't
0: either on an unre- uh, on a related note mark zuckerberg has a podcast now called Tech and Society with Mark Zuckerberg, and hey, maybe this will be – it's a way to, like, increase transparency with the company, but I wonder if maybe I'll talk about this. Um, Anyway, so that's all for us today. Can I get your Twitter handles, please? I am at S. Proudfoot.
2: And I am at David Riefly.
0: And I am at Turnbull Sarah. We'll see you next time. Fast, safe, and reliable – Interac e-Transfer is one of the best ways to send, request, and receive money. In fact, Canadians use the service to complete 371 million transactions in 2018. That's nearly 11 times the population of Canada. Learn more at newsroom.interac.ca.